The Dauntless Gambit by Eric Flowers. Narrated by Chris Lynch. Episode 42, An Investigative Black Hole. The door chime to Kin's quarters aboard the Terminus announced the arrival of her guest. Kin strode across the recently tidied room and gave her uniform a quick glance to ensure its neatness. She stopped in front of the doors and clasped her hands, first behind her, then in front of her. The door slid open, Yadov standing in the corridor beyond. Lieutenant Meridesi, Yadov said, her voice overly official, playful, flirtatious. You had a matter to discuss? Kin smiled, stepping aside and gesturing for Yadov to enter. It was the first time anyone else had been in her quarters in the year since being assigned a private room. Indeed, Lieutenant, please enter. Yadov nodded and walked forward, doors closing behind her. She exhaled, raising her arms as she slowly turned to observe the interior of Kin's private residence. She gestured to Kin's collection of plants residing on their shelves and hanging rods, the air of formality dropping from her voice. So, this is where Kin tends to her garden, Yadov said, letting her eyes linger on the neatly arranged row of plants. It's different from how I imagined. Kin stepped forward, tilting her head. How did you imagine it? Yadov cleared her throat, hesitant, nervous, and shrugged. Well, I'm not exactly sure I had anything in mind, only that I'd wondered when I'd finally see it for myself. Kin and Yadov met eyes, each standing for a moment before Kin turned her gaze to the floor, the urgency of her task intruding into their pleasantly awkward moment. It is not much, but I hope it meets your expectations, Kin said, crossing the room toward her workstation. I apologize that this is not a social visit, but there is a development with regards to our contact on Kestris. Yadov nodded, shaking her head as if trying to bring herself back to the present moment. No, yes, of course, she said, clearing her throat. Kin arrived at the desk and pulled out her chair, then pulled out another from against the wall for Yadov. They sat, and Kin angled the computers so they could both see. The persistent query that OS9 Computers has been running for intelligence related to the Red Kestrels or Indigo has returned a hit. I believe it is relevant to not only OS9, but to Agent Siddig's request as well. Kin tapped a command into the computer, and all information gathered by OS9 on Sonali, Kat Basara, and the Red Kestrels appeared in a categorized list. Commander Tao introduced Sonali as a location of interest when attempting to frame Agent Mori, though I am not certain he realized OS9 would add it to the scope of the ongoing data harvesting algorithm across the sector. Yadov studied the screen eyes moving back and forth over the briefs, abstracts, news reports, and other intra-sector intelligence communiques. She hummed and nodded, taking in what she believed was OS9's most updated intelligence on the fringe planet. It was, only this list had been hastily doctored minutes before she'd summoned Yadov to her quarters, the data sources primed to serve up exactly what was needed to push their investigation down the required path. It was a small deception, Kin believed Yanov would have ended up with the information now sitting before her anyway, but it would have taken more time. Time they didn't have. Kin didn't have. If she was going to get Lee the information he requested. A harmless means to a foregone end. At least that was how Kin the 5e agent consoled herself. The pang of guilt in her stomach indicated she was not as successful at self-deception as she would have liked. 
But the doctored query allowed Kin to leave out Lee's request, the integrity of the sergeant's identity taking precedence over Kin's personal misgivings. Yadov was someone Kin wished she could share an authentic moment with. For now, the only person she'd be able to do that with was Lee. On the screen was the confidential report from local investigators on Sonali. Yadov sat back in her chair, lips pursed in satisfaction. Looks like an incident of high potential. Kat Basara and the Sonali Red Kestrels were Agent Mori's last known target. Indeed, Kin said, grateful for Yadov's willingness to participate without backing Kin into more corners that required the increasingly frequent personal deceptions. Yadov raised an eyebrow, a subtle grin bending a corner of her lips. She nodded toward the desk. There's only one computer. How did you want me to assist? Kin thought for a moment. Was this an invitation for a personal affirmation? My methods are rather deductive and rely on inference. I want you to remain more judicious and far-sighted. And... Kin turned her attention back to the computer screen, risking a moment of authenticity. Your company is assistance enough. Yadov laughed. In that case, I'll do my best to remain a pleasant addition. She waved her hand at the computer. Tell me a story of treasonous naval officers and faraway planets, Kin. Kin forced a smile at Yadov's casual but too close for comfort comparison. She entered the protocols distributed to the Indigo team's principal investigators, and like a digital fog, the access privileges cloaked her presence in the Navy systems. Even ship security staff would not be able to detect her. Most of all, no other OS-9 team members, including Commander Tao, would know of their findings because in a breach of protocol, the findings would not be entered into the OS-9 records. In this, Kin and Yadov joined Agent Siddig and Mori in hiding information from their own people. Kin furrowed her brow, speaking her thoughts aloud. If the commander was on Sonali when Basara died, his comm would be out of range of any Imperium beacons. Our task is to triangulate Commander Tao's location during that time period, or, if a positive identification of his location is not possible, to determine that he was either not where he was supposed to be or unable to be located altogether. Yadov scrunched her mouth to the side. Hard to implicate someone whose job renders their whereabouts unknown and unrecorded by design. Kin tilted her head at the comment. We will have to hope that if we come up short, the specific nature in which we are short is still enough to cast doubt onto the commander. Yadov shrugged and raised her hand to the computer screen. Let's see what the commander is leaving in his wake. Kin navigated to the Central Navy Access Database, where all comm checkpoint records were stored. She submitted the query for Rennick's Imperium identification number from the last week. Though she knew that her indigo access permissions would prevent this query from being known to anyone but Yadov, Julian's warnings about the degree to which Rennick would punish those who wronged him still caused her to hesitate for a moment before entering the command anyway. Row after row of entries filled the screen, showing the beacon's identifier and the time Rennick's comm had triggered it in the time frame. Countless doors, both restricted and not. Government and military vehicles. Elevators and even his own office door in the Underground Naval Special Investigation Division headquarters. I've seen comm location logs before, but always with very narrow parameters. But this, this is his whole life. There must be hundreds, Yadov said. 413, Kin said, pointing to the final tally. I am certain each of us have similar counts. 
Yadav hummed. I know we're monitored, but passing through over a hundred beacons a day? I've never really stopped to think about how many times we aren't actually alone. Yadav turned to meet Kin's eye. I suppose it's good that we don't give anyone reason to look. Kin shifted in her seat, hoping her hum of agreement did not appear too fabricated. They each turned their attention back to the screen. Kin typed as she spoke, eager to move past the notion. If we take the closest approximation of the time of the fire, we can establish a window of time based on average jump times from Kestris to Sonali. A modern jump drive can cover the distance one way in less than 50 hours. Yadov scoffed playfully, tilting her head. Less than 50? Kin, I would have expected you to have an estimation down to the minute. Kin sighed, just as playfully. Unfortunately, without knowing the exact model of jump drive and the mass of the vessel that needs to squeeze through the quantum fold, I can only make a guess based on the kinds of ships a Navy commander would have access to. Unless, of course, the commander is hiding wormhole technology from us. Yadav hummed, narrowing her eyes. Fifty hours is a fine enough approximation. So, doubling that, let's check the last five days. That's enough to make the trip and back with time to spare. Kin updated the data set. The table of entries reduced to only the ones that fit the five-day window, all the way up to the current moment. Look, Yadav said, eagerly tapping her fingertip against the screen. He hit a beacon just an hour ago. Where is that? Kin tapped in the command, and the beacon's comm name address, stored in the Imperium location name servers, appeared. A Navy ship field here on Kestris, Kin said. Yadav leaned forward, face both closer to the screen as well as Kin. The proximity tugged Kin's attention, and for a moment, she found her mind oddly blank. She'd never been this close to Yadav, especially not in her own quarters. If anyone were to look at their comm records, did the beacons have the fidelity to pick up just how close they were actually sitting? Yadav continued, nodding toward the screen. Let's walk it backward. Look for a gap that's more than a day. Kin brought her mind back into focus, reluctantly pushing aside her pleasant musings. A day, yes. She added a filter to the reduced data set on the screen. Two entries became highlighted in the table. Here, a gap of 105 hours. Yadov's eyes narrowed at the screen, her hands rubbing the tops of her legs eagerly. That's the window. Plenty of time for a fast trip to jump from Kestris to Sonali. Get into a confrontation and get back. Kin nodded, the rush of the discovery blending with the rush of Yadov's proximity. She smiled, keeping her eyes on the screen as she continued to enter commands. The two entries are, as you might say, bookends around an unbroken gap. They are at the same location. She retrieved the location name from the mirrored entries. The auxiliary Navy ship field outside the capital complex. That is the last entry, 108 hours ago, until he appeared there again today. The commander has yet to trigger another beacon after leaving the ship field. Yadav sucked her teeth, rocking her head back and forth, which means he probably took a private vehicle that didn't have a comm beacon. Curious move. Kin nodded, highlighting the mirrored entries. Yes, this ship field appears to be how the commander could have left and then returned to Kestris in the suspected window. Yadav sat back, glaring at the computer screen. Yeah, the window fits. But Navy vessels are all beacon from bow to stern. Unless he went to a shipfield and simply didn't leave for a hundred hours, 
he either disabled his comm or used a ship that did not make any record of his presence. Kin's mind wandered back to Lee's advice about the why-why of contextual clues. She envisioned the scenario, picturing Rennick in her mind, how the commander saw the world around him. Kin patted Yadav on the arm. Esme, if we take into account the nuances of Commander Tao's personality, I do not suspect that the commander has the technical knowledge to tamper with his own comm, nor do I suspect he would take the time to arrange for someone else to tamper with it for him, not if there is an easier option. Yadov smiled, nodding. So instead of doctoring a comm diagnostic log or involving a technician to help him cover his tracks, he just takes a ship that doesn't log his presence. Kin nodded back. Indeed. The commander must be analyzed as someone who operates out of a place of arrogance, thinking others are too far beneath his cunning to notice the clues he leaves behind. Others like us, Yadav said through a scoff. Her eyes narrowed at the log of Rennick's movement. If that's the case, we can find his ship. Kin saved the data of Rennick's calm beacon history and navigated to a new Navy database, the one for the shipfield attack where Rennick had disappeared. She filtered her query to bring back the shipfield's departure and arrival data that fit within the time gap. Hundreds of entries filled the screen, vessel names appearing in a column next to the timestamps of each request they made with Navy space traffic control. Busy place, Yadov said, exhaling. He's in there somewhere. Filtration vector? Kin typed and spoke, the anxiety she'd originally felt at Lee's urgent request being overtaken by a flutter of excitement. She was on the verge of delivering on what Clark had originally sent her to do. All she needed was Rennick to remain just as arrogant as he appeared on the surface. If we presume that the commander departed and arrived shortly after each of his comm entries, we can reduce the list to only ships that were logged as departing and arriving within, Kin thought for a moment, 20 minutes. The list of ships filtered further down to only two. Both Kin and Yadov leaned forward eyes inches from the screen, and each other. Kin tapped the screen. Two ships. One, the Cavalier, a light escort cruiser. And this one, an unidentified Corvette-class ship with an encoded Imperium transmitter signature, but no designation. Yadov's expression hardened. Retrieve the Cavalier's beacon records and flight logs. Kin accessed the beacon records for the Cavalier, Hundreds of entries filled a new list with countless crew and passengers, all with properly functioning comms registering their location aboard the Navy vessel. The Cavalier's flight log verifies it jumped to a remote Imperium defense station just inside Empire Space in Sector 13B, too far for a visit to Sonali. Checking for the commander's comm aboard the Cavalier, she filtered to include Rennick's comm identifier. No match, Kin said. And the other ship? Yadav asked voice soft against Kin's cheek. Kin pulled her eyes away and returned her gaze to the screen, though her focus remained on the sensation against her skin. Attention split. She entered a command to request the undesignated ship's beacon logs. Nothing, Kin whispered. She expanded her query, requesting the ship's flight logs, intra-jump transmitter logs, even its atmospheric weather station request logs. Hmm. Yadav hummed. Indigo can't get them? Kin shook her head. It is not access insufficiency. The records are not merely restricted or blocked. The request endpoints returned a connection unknown code, as if the ship were not equipped with logs in the first place. It is a specter. 
Yadov sat back in the chair, bringing her fist to her mouth and sighing thoughtfully. That's the perfect vessel for someone like the commander to abscond away to Sonali and come back believing that both his and the ship's whereabouts would be a black hole. Shipfield space traffic control would clear it verbally, but clearance overrides would let it all remain off the record. Kin let her eyes unfocus, mind wandering around the data available. Is that gap of evidence, in itself, enough evidence? We have a gap in the commander's whereabouts, and a ship that would facilitate such a gap and leave behind little evidence. It is an investigative black hole, as you mentioned. We cannot see it, only how space bends around it. Yadov and Kin each looked back to the screen. The evidence was enough to raise doubt, but something in Kin's gut told her that it was not enough. There was too much plausible deniability built into the commander's role. The gap in data meant he could hypothetically be anywhere, including anywhere but Sonali. Yadov snapped her fingers. Kin, you're right. Physicists infer the position of black holes and other gravitational anomalies by how they bend space-time in the immediate vicinity. Kin raised an eyebrow. Yes. Are you suggesting we have yet to infer enough about the commander's activities? Yadov smiled, gesturing for Kin to scoot her chair aside. Kin raised an eyebrow and obliged, allowing Yadov to place her hands on the computer's keys. This is where your time aboard the Terminus and not more traditional ships works against you, Yadov said. Kin watched as the data appeared on the screen. It was surprisingly mundane. Shipfield maintenance records? That's right. The Terminus is forever bound to the void of space, all of its maintenance and repair being carried out by technicians that live and work on the vessel itself. But most ships aren't floating cities. The ships I served on before the Terminus, including the Dauntless, all required this, Yadov said, pointing to a new set of records. Shipfield engineers that attend to the ships while they're on the surface, and in this case specifically, jump drive technicians. Kin leaned forward, reading the data Yadov had retrieved. While the ship they were presuming Rennick had used created no logs, the engineers who checked the undesignated ship's jump drives just hours ago did. In the center of the screen was an entry documenting the routine check of a prototype jump drive used in the latest generation of new, classified Navy Corvettes. Oh my, Kin said, feeling a surge of admiration at Yadov's competence. Yadov continued to retrieve data, voice filled with excitement. Look at the record. It doesn't say which ship the drive being served is housed in, but it does have the accumulation of jump hours noted here, 97. Cut that in half, 48 and a half hours. If we take that drive's maximum quantum folding output and multiply that by two days. Yadov pulled up a navigation map of the sector, entering the parameters of the drive and time constraints. With Kestris as the point of origin, only one potential destination met the criteria. Sonali, they both said in unison. A chill traveled up Kin's spine, not only because of the discovery, but because of who she discovered it with. We have him, Kin said. Yadov nodded, eyes wide with excitement. We have him. The two lieutenants held each other's gaze. For a moment, Kin could only think of Yadov, her perceptiveness, how she made Kin feel less alone, less isolated. Well, Yadov said, tilting her head. Kin looked away, regaining her composure. Um, yes? 
Yadov's words came out slow and prompting. Don't we need to get this to Agent Siddig? Of course, yes, Ken said, nodding abruptly. She closed the computer and stood. He has established a communication channel with me, but... Ken paused. Lee's identity as a 5E sleeper had to be maintained, as did her own. Yadov held up a hand. Don't bother explaining. I presume Julian would expect you to be his contact. I think my cold shoulder might have been overly effective. Do whatever it is you need to do. Then meet me in two hours somewhere on this ship where we're not bound to run into anyone we work with. It'll be shift change, and I think we could use a moment to breathe. Kin bowed her head. Is this a professional appointment? Yadov raised an eyebrow. No. Kin felt her cheeks warm. Okay. Two hours. Base of the atrium on deck five. Ah, the deck five atrium. Tropical themed and nowhere near the decks where other OS-9 would be found working. Yadov placed a hand on Kin's arm. I'll see you there. The elevator doors opened, and Kin stepped into the corridor. Across from her, the athletic center on Deck 72, Section 4, was busy with the end of third shift. Those who wanted to exercise before starting their shift were exiting, towels slung over sweat-soaked shoulders and gym bags in hand, those who had just finished second shift were arriving, exercise clothes hiding in gym bags, dry and waiting. Kin looked down at the synthetic red cover of the book in her hands, Introduction to Quantum Cryptography. She let the book hang by her side, attempting to conceal the out-of-place object, but none of the crew who passed seemed to notice either her or the book. Kin studied the faces of the crew members as they passed. No one seemed to be enjoying themselves, as Lee had pointed out during their last conversation, exercise was one of the things that did not require recreation hours to be spent. With the Terminus's current duty schedules occupying most of the crew's every waking moment, this was one of the few places people could get some reprieve from their work. Crew would arrive, work themselves to physical and mental exhaustion, then return to their quarters for much-needed sleep until the next shift started. The large, frosted glass doors of the Athletic Center's entrance were pulled open, giving a view into the floor of countless resistance and strength training machines lined up, each specially designed for use aboard spacecraft, where gravity was not a guarantee. Kin stood, book clasped in her hands, scanning the floor for Lee. Sergeant Lee. Agent Lee. She wasn't sure how she should think of him. She supposed keeping Sergeant at the forefront was best. While she did not think she would ever slip and refer to him as agent, a slip was, by definition, unintended. Sergeant Lee. That was who he was. On cue, Sergeant Lee emerged from the locker room exit near the athletic center's entrance and feigned surprise at seeing her. Meridesi? Shouldn't you be doing math problems somewhere? Sergeant Lee said as he bounded over, his shirt drenched in sweat, a bottle of water in one hand and a towel in the other. Nah, I'm just joking. Math is good. Someone has to do it. Kin smiled, unsure of how much of an act to put on. She'd treated the sergeant as an eager but inexperienced and slightly naive team member before, even wondering if she could mentor him. Having to keep up that pretense now felt silly. If anything, Lee needed to mentor her. Sergeant, you left this on the cafeteria table. Your comm indicated that you were in the athletic center, and I presumed you would be reporting for third shift soon, Kin said, holding out introduction to quantum cryptography. The entire facade for this meeting felt particularly flimsy. 
Lee flipped his towel over his shoulder and eagerly extended his arm, snatching the book out of Kin's hand. Oh, I wondered where I left that, he said. The muscles of his arms rippled beneath his skin. Knowing Lee might be required to enter into physical combat to, as he put it, shoot and stab, Kin better understood his dedication to physical fitness. Yes, well, I surmised that if you were serious about wanting to advance to more cerebral assignments, having your study material on hand would be important, Kin said. Her words sounded conspicuously fabricated to her ears. Treating Lee like an unsophisticated subordinate had been easy when she'd believed it to be true. Everything had been easier before her activation. Kin was not an actor like Lee. She was Lieutenant Meridesi of OS-9. Lee flipped through the pages, grinning and chuckling to himself. Right, I think the mental workouts in here are tougher than the physical ones back there. He took a step slightly closer to her, eyes on the page as he spoke beneath the clamor behind him. Report. Kin surveyed the area for any eavesdroppers. No one was paying them any attention, but she kept her posture casual anyway, imagining Lee to be the sergeant she had believed him to be, setting her expression to one of slight disapproval and superiority, as she presumed she had always looked to him in the past. The information you requested was found. It is circumstantial, but I believe it tells enough of a story that anyone who knows of the situation will be sufficiently convinced. I wrote the details on a slip of paper disguised as equations and notes and placed it in the center of the book. It's encoded with a one-time pad cipher, Kin said. She paused, leaning forward. You are familiar with decoding that type of cipher? Lee chuckled, saying under his breath, I'm not that much of a meat shield. Yes, I know how to decode it. Kin felt her cheeks redden. I apologize. I did not, Lee cut her off, smacking a hand playfully against her arm. No problem, Miradesi. Thanks for bringing this back. I'll be sure to check the notes, he said. The sergeant's jocular attitude returned. He tucked the book under his arm and took a few steps back, pointing at Kin and winking. Gotta report to my shift. You take it easy, Lieutenant. I know you're busy, but hey, let's catch up again soon, eh? Maybe we can talk a little more about what's in the book. I know I'll probably be needing your help. Lee gave her a playful salute and sauntered off toward the elevator bays. Kin sighed, shoulders dropping. That was it. She was once again the OS-9 officer who was currently off-shift and had over an hour to go until her appointment with Yadov. Date. Date with Yadov. As much as she could consider it here aboard the Terminus, living a double life, the foundation of the empire she both served and deceived threatening to crack beneath her, Lee, and everyone else in the Imperium, on the list of approved recreation activities provided by the Office of the Fleet Marshal, she did not recall romance being among them, especially when human resources would then be required to look deeper into her life and history should anything more formal ever transpire between her and Yadov. Kin looked at the crowd of sweating, grimacing crew members in the athletic center. Each of them wore the sleek, navy-issued calm around their forearm or wrists. She looked down at her own, its glistening, curved black surface just above her wrist. Perhaps investigating further into just how closely she and Yadov were being monitored was a new pursuit worth her time, investigating and determining if there were any way to hide their movements. Julian's pencil tapped against his desk. He had never spent this much time away from field missions. Having to shift his focus to serving as a planet-bound analyst was starting to bore him. Partnering with a new 5E field agent wasn't an option. 
he needed to be available to Clark for all the things the director couldn't do with the new scrutiny placed on him by Defense Minister Archer's office. Julian was free to operate behind the scenes, just a desk-bound analyst upset and concerned about the fate of his missing partner. The concern his 5E colleagues saw on his face was genuine, even if they lacked the entire reason why. A notification lit up the screen of his personal computer, the one partitioned away from 5E systems. It was a message from his contact aboard the Terminus, Agent Bennett Lee. Julian had never met Agent Lee, but according to Director Clark, he was a competent and stable asset, the inclusion of the latter attribute not going unnoticed. Julian slipped the pencil back behind his ear and opened it, his eyes scanning rapidly back and forth over the text. The message was brief, but it was enough. Attached with the message was a set of encrypted data. Julian decoded the attachment, eyes widening as the data told its story. That was all he needed. Julian closed his computer, standing and tucking it under his arm. He double-timed it down the halls of 5E headquarters toward the lifts, nodding politely at anyone he recognized but keeping his pace brisk enough to discourage conversation. A short ride and walked through the halls later, he was standing inside of Clark's office. Director, Julian said, looking pointedly at the desk. Clark took the cue and pressed a button on his computer, activating the office's privacy safeguards. Julian nodded, starting again. Director, we have it. Rennick was there. We have to presume that Samantha's mission is blown. Clark leaned forward. You sure? Sure enough. This is compelling. More than we usually go on, in fact. Meredesi is good. Clark exhaled sharply. If that's the case, what can we assume? Julian bowed his head. We assume the best. That Samantha encountered Rennick. There was a conflict, and she will be scrambling to pivot her approach. She has the Nighthawk now. I would not be surprised if she tries to contact us with it. I recommend we maintain an open channel and route it off-site to non-Imperium transmitters. Clark frowned. Can you contact her with the same trick you used before? Julian shrugged. I can try sending a message to the tax suit, but that is dependent on her checking again, and we cannot be certain she will while she is, hopefully, regrouping. Clark's hand formed into a fist on his desk. What about the Nighthawk? The links we went through to make sure that went missing better have been worth it. Julian shook his head. The Nighthawk's safeguards are far beyond that of the tax suit. I do not have any way to contact it unless it contacts us first. But if Samantha establishes a link to us, we will have a conduit. Clark muttered a string of curses under his breath. This is getting out of hand. Sir, Julian said, surprised at the director's shift of tone. I made a mistake with Samantha, and I'm going to fix it, Clark said flatly. When she reaches out, which she will, notify me immediately. It's time to sink Rennick. Transmit the data Meridesi retrieved to this, Clark said handing Julian a standard civilian-grade datapad. Julian placed his computer on the desk and opened it, setting the datapad nearby. After a few commands, the transfer was complete. I hope it is enough. Rennick is formidable, and he has the fleet marshal at his back. Anything we try to throw at him, Gallo can simply wipe away. Clark nodded, a sadistic and uncharacteristic grin bending his lips. That's right. And if we can make Rennick a liability, Gallo will wipe him away for us. I know Gallo, and one thing he cannot stand 
is a weak link in his chain of command. We just need to add a little weight to the chain and let the fleet marshal's gravity do the rest. Hey everyone, this is Eric. Thanks for listening to episode 42. Another great Kin episode. And Kin and Yadav, you know, they're characters that a lot of people, they've become kind of the fan favorites. And I didn't I didn't really expect that at first. You know, you think everyone will kind of pick Decker and Samantha and the characters who are much more involved in the actual action action and not so much the intrigue aboard the Terminus, but... Um, more than a few people have said that Kin is, you know, the highlight of their reading, including a bunch that have said that the Kin of growing relationship is also the highlight of the reading. So, you know, that's good to hear that the things that I didn't really intend to be highlights stand out and become people's favorites. And, you know, Kin has a lot of story left to tell in this book and in the next book. So, you know, for all the Kin fans, you know, there's going to be plenty more. If you're listening live, it's December 21st, and I'm going to post this episode, you know, right now. And then we're going to do another one next Monday. We're going to skip Christmas. That's Christmas Eve. You know, people probably aren't, you know, dying to get up on their, you know, catch up on their podcasts. So uh, 43 will come out on Monday, and then we're going to keep going and get to 45, the big act finale. And then uh, we're switching over to those final 15, 46 through 60 that take us to the end of the story. So, you know, stick around and keep listening. I'm going to put volume three, which is episodes, what, 31 through 45 up on Amazon soon. So people can buy the paperback or read the ebook. You want to send it to a friend, get it up on Audible. And then we're going to finish out this story. It's going to be great. So keep listening. Uh, Send me an email, eric at ericflowers.com if you want to talk. Otherwise, I will see you in one week with the potential for a bonus episode between now and then, uh, you know, if me and my co-hosts get things together. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. See you in a week.